your first full work week of the year went well. Um, I had a great week myself spending time with some of you getting to hear about what God is doing in your lives. And I was really encouraged to see that even though uh, we have different circumstances and we're in different seasons of our lives, some of us in valleys, some of us on mountaintops, regardless, what I was encouraged to see this week is that God is doing what he is so faithful to do, and that is love us and carry us through no matter what we're, we're facing and what we're dealing with. And so I just want to encourage you, wherever you find yourself today, I believe that God has something for you as we spend some time in his word, and I invite you to, to just quiet your soul, soften your spirit, and let, let's, let's come before him and listen to what he has for us today. Um, I got in the only fist fight that I have ever been in, in the seventh grade, in the middle of the cafeteria, in front of half the school. Um, I'm going to spare the details because I'm pretty ashamed of how this little scenario played out. If you want to ask me later, maybe one-on-one, I'll, I'll share it with you. But uh, the point of sharing this story is that for my punishment, I got suspended from school for three days. And my dad, being a good dad, was not going to let this be a vacation. It was going to be a teachable moment. And so he came up with this brilliant idea. He looked out in the backyard and realized that this new tree, we had just moved to this house about a year before, we had a new tree that had died already, even though we had just moved in. And he was like, well, I need to get rid of that thing. And I've got a son who has three days with nothing to do. And so my punishment was going to be that I had to completely dig this tree up out of the ground, and I couldn't just stop there. I had to cut it up into logs and pieces and haul it off to wherever it was. And so I learned two things that day. The first thing I learned was what I think I was supposed to learn, and that is that fighting is not worth it. It's stupid, and it's something that I would never do again. But the second thing I learned that day is that the roots of a tree are the worst part to deal with when you have to dig up something, dig up a tree and cut it up. You know, because you see the part above ground, you kind of expect that. But then as you start to dig, you're like, oh my gosh, these things are just crazy. They're just everywhere, and they're really hard to mess with. Because they're like an anchor for a tree. They, they, they're a source of life for a tree. I'll tell you this story because... I, I believe that all of us in this room desire to live a fruitful life. We may define that a little differently, but every one of us wants our lives to be meaningful. We want them to be impactful, right? We want to make a difference with the 70, 80, maybe 90 or 100, if we're blessed, years that we live here. We want to leave a lasting legacy, something that, that transcends beyond us. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to live that kind of life, that kind of successful, meaningful, legacy-leaving life, we need something to ground us, to give us security, and to be a source of life for us, like a tree needs roots to ground it. We need something that can be an anchor for us so that we can really stay 
the, the course and, and, and continue through life making a difference. And the problem, I would argue, is that most of us, even those of us who are followers of Christ, often ground ourselves in things that aren't able to truly ground us, to support us, to sustain us. Whether that's things like achievement or other people or our own morality or maybe our possessions, just to name a few of the common things that we try to find our security and our life in, all of those things, they fail us. They all prove that they are not capable of being the grounding that we need. So, if we want to live these truly fruitful lives, we need something that is able to ground us both now and for forever. We need something that can truly provide security and be a source of life for us, always, all the time. So, what is that? What is that one thing that can provide the grounding that we need? That's the question that I want to wrestle with first and foremost today. And then after we, we talk through that, I want to look at why we can be truly grounded, and then third, how. So what is it, why can we be truly grounded, and how can we be truly grounded? So last week, we talked about our mission statement here at Skillman. Skillman Bible Church is a community determined to see God's reputation increase both at home and abroad. A community determined to see God's reputation increase both at home and abroad. And I also mentioned that in order to see that accomplished, to, 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 to really keep us focused and to, to see that happen, we have a process that we believe God has called us to. And that process is that we are grounded in the faith, growing together, and reaching the world. Grounded in the faith, growing together, and reaching the world. And what we're going to do today and the next two weeks is we're going to spend one week on each part of that process so that we can remind ourselves what it is that we're called to do so that we can see God's reputation increase right here and around the world. And so today we're going to look at a couple of passages in Colossians as we explore this idea of being grounded in the faith. So if you have a Bible, flip with me to Colossians chapter 2, and we'll be in verses 6 and 7 in that chapter. And then after we read that, we're just going to flip back to chapter 1 and we'll read verses 15 through 23 together. If you need a Bible, there's a blue one there on the back of the pew in front of you. I'll give you a second to to grab it and uh, flip to Colossians 2. And so I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for our time together. And then we'll stand out of reverence for the word as we read it. So let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that we get to come here week in and week out. We get to worship you, and we get to open your word, and we get to hear from you. God, I pray that as we, as we do that this morning, that you would come and you would be with us, that you would inhabit this place in a very special way. I pray that you would come and be with us, that you would speak truth to our hearts, that you would draw us closer to you, because that is what we need. We need to be near you. This life is hard. It's full of trials. It's full of struggle. And if we're going to make it, if we're going to live these lives that are meaningful, that are fruitful, we need you. So we ask that you would come and be with us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we read this. 
So Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And back in Colossians 1, verse 15, it says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Thank you. You can take a seat. So in in chapter 2, in verses 6 and 7, Paul says that we, as believers in Jesus, we are rooted and built up in Christ Jesus and established in the faith. So rooted, built up, and established are really all different words that mean grounded. So what we see right here is Paul is telling us already from the get-go that we are grounded in Jesus. As believers, we're grounded in him. He is the one that we find our security and our life in. So in today's Old Testament reading that David read for us earlier, in Psalm 1, 3, it said this. It said, he, referring to the man who delights in the law of the Lord from a previous verse, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So earlier I was talking about having this fruitful life, this meaningful life that we long to to have. Well, right here in this proverb, I'm sorry, in this psalm, saying that the one who is planted by this streams of life is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. He's the one who has the fruitful life. And then in Colossians here, it's saying that those who are rooted in Jesus are the ones who, that, that, that's where we find our, our grounding. That's where we're going to be established. It's in him. And so what we see is that this, this delight in the law of the Lord really leads us to Christ. He's the fulfillment of what the psalm passage was talking about. And so this psalm passage is where we get the imagery for the Skillman process. When, when it was come up with, it came from this verse. I got this straight off the website. You can go look at it if you don't believe me. And so... I think it's great imagery because as a tree is grounded and received its life from the roots as the nutrients are pulled into it, when we're grounded in Jesus, he gives us his life. And we're going to talk more later about why he's able to do that. And so Paul makes it plain and clear here that Jesus 
is the content of our faith. And that's why I wanted to talk about this passage specifically. That's why we read these two verses in Colossians, is because when you read grounded in the faith, you may think that that's just, like, what, what, is, what is the faith? It raises a question, what is that? And you may think that that's, you know, a certain doctrine or a certain belief, or is it the Bible? Ultimately, the Bible points us to Jesus. He's the one that we're grounded in. So we're ultimately grounded in the person of Christ. All of this helps us understand that. And so that's why I wanted to, to look at that, this verse, is because sometimes we may think that our grounding is in a st- statement of beliefs or a, a, a core doctrine. And in some sense, it is. But it is doing that, like we're grounded in these beliefs in as much as they find their source in Christ. He's the one who gives the beliefs any power. Without him, these beliefs, you know, they, they, they wouldn't be able to sustain us. And so they point us back to the person of Christ. And so one of the things that I hope that we understand today is ultimately our grounding is in the person of Jesus. And we're going to talk about why that's so. Okay? So the answer to that first question of where can you be truly grounded is that Jesus is the only one who can truly ground you. Jesus is the only one who can truly ground you. He's the only one who can give you security and life. He's the only one that will never wear out or fail you. All of the other things that we try to ground ourselves in, be it money, be it people, be it achievement, whatever, those things will run out or they will fail you. All of them will. Okay? So why is Jesus the only one who can truly ground us? Why is he the only one who can truly ground us? Let's look at the Colossians 1 passage, and I believe as we walk through this, we'll see three, three reasons. There's probably more than this, but I, I, I see three reasons why we can be truly grounded in Jesus. Look at verse 15. It says this. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the image of the invisible God. This means that Jesus is the manifestation, the reflection of God. In verse 19, look down there, it says this, for in him, talking about Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God. So here's what this verse is saying, basically, just plain and clear, is Jesus is God. Jesus is God. These two verses are communicating the idea that he has all of the attributes of God. All of them. He is the fullness of God. So if you think about it this way, when you, when you see that he is the image of the invisible God, another verse in the Bible tells us this. It says that you and I, it says man was created in the image of God. We were created in the image of God. That means that God made us to have some of his attributes, to be like him. Jesus is different than that. He's not just created in the image of God. He's not created, first of all, but he's not just in the image of God. He is the image of God. So this is different. So we're seeing right, out, right off the bat here that Paul is saying that Jesus himself is God. And then in verse 16, he says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So, Jesus created all things. They were created through him. They were created for him. 
So Jesus is not just the agent of creation. According to this verse, it says that he's also the goal of creation. All things were created to serve him. They are here. They exist. You and I, we exist for him. And here's why this matters. When it comes to having something that grounds us, that gives us the security and life that we need, we need something strong enough to support us. Right? We need something that can give us the kind of anchor, be the kind of roots for us that we don't get tossed to and fro by the different difficulties that face us in life. Jesus being God and being creator is uniquely strong enough to be our security, to support us through everything. He is the one who created all things, who is over all things, and that uniquely qualifies him to ground us, to be that support for us. He's not just another creature or a created thing that is dependent upon someone or something else. On the flip side of that, everything else is dependent upon him. And so that's why you and I can ground ourselves in him, and he can support us, and he can be the very security that we need. Because he's supporting, and and he is the security for all things. So, unlike the things we try to ground ourselves in, Jesus will not fail us, and he will not ever, ever run out. He is the creator and sustainer of life himself. So that's the first reason why we can be grounded in Jesus, is because Jesus is God. Because Jesus is God. Okay, look at verse 17 and 18 with me. It says this, And he is before all things... And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Two phrases I want to point out. Paul says there that Jesus is before all things and the beginning. He is before all things and he is the beginning. And what he means really in that is that Jesus is eternal. Jesus is is eternal. He's before all things, he was there, existed before them, and he is the beginning. So when you think about, when you read the first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God created. Jesus is the beginning. He was there in the beginning. He was there before anything else existed, because he's God, because he is eternal. So Jesus has always existed. He is greater than all creation, And then Paul says this. He says, in him, all things hold together. And that's kind of an interesting verse. Um, Without kind of sounding new agey or mystical, one of the the taglines I read one time when I was studying this passage, this one particular commentator said that one way to put this is that Jesus is the cosmic glue of the universe. And I don't know, I think the imagery just kind of helps in some way. I mean, don't, get, don't take that too far. It's not literal. But just in the sense that all things hold together in him. I mean, he, by his very existence, sustains creation. Because he's God. Because he's the one who created it. Because he existed before it ever came to be. In him, all things hold together. And so, he is wiser, he is more trustworthy than anything else in this world. Because he's been around longer. He's been here before anything else that we see, anything that's created. And being the one that is holding all things together, he is uniquely qualified to ground you and I. And here's why. 
Not only is he strong enough, as we talked about being God, but being eternal, he has an endless supply of life to give to us because he has life in himself. And so being, G- being God, he's strong, he's powerful, he's creator. He can be the security we need. Being eternal, he can give us the life we need because he has life in himself. He doesn't depend on anything else to have life. So Jesus can ground us. The second reason why is because he's eternal. Because he's eternal. And then let's look at verses 20 through 22 real quick. It says this, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So these verses, they talk about the rescue mission that God sent Jesus on, that he came to fulfill. He says in verse 21 that you and I, we were completely alienated from God, hostile in mind. So as a result of our sin, we were completely separated from God. We were basically, I mean, not basically, we were enemies with him. We were God's enemies. And thankfully, Jesus stepped in and gave his life for us on the cross so that we could go from being alienated and hostile to being reconciled to being holy and blameless before God. That is the message of the gospel right there that we are sinners, that we're in need of a Savior, and that Christ came to be that Savior for us, that he came to shed his own blood, to die on the cross in our place, so that we could be brought back to God, so that we could be grounded, so that we could have a firm source of security and of life. So it's it's a relational thing that he's done, but it's also something for this life and for eternity so that you and I have something that sustains us. Jesus' work on the cross is what makes it even possible for us to be grounded. Because in order for us to be grounded, we need to be attached, we need to be connected with the one who is outside of creation, who is outside of time, God. And Jesus makes it possible for us to be connected to God. That's what he did. He came down to bring us to the Father. Every other religion is people trying to work their way to God. We all see that we need to be with God. Jesus uniquely comes and brings us to God because we can't work our way there. Jesus uniquely is able to ground us because he has an endless supply of life, but he also is able to sustain us. He's able to support us and sustain us forever. So Jesus can ground us because he's God, he can ground us because he's eternal, and because he is our Savior. That's the third answer, because he is our Savior. Because he has brought us near to God, he has attached us to the source of life. He has made it possible for us to be connected with the one that can sustain us. The last question I want to address is, how can we be grounded in Jesus? 
I mean, it's true that he is the only one who can ground us, and we talk about why, because he's God, because he's eternal, because he's Savior. That makes it possible for him to ground us, but how do we actually stay grounded in him? The way that we stay grounded in Jesus is by relying on him, by building our lives on him, by relying on him. So I'm not talking about, like I said before, I'm not talking about simply believing this statement of things about him. I'm talking about relying on him personally, really depending on him. You see, some of us, for various reasons, we may have a lot of the right information, we may have good doctrine, but we're not relying on Jesus. We may believe the right things, but relationally, we're not relying on him. We're not depending on him. We're doing life on our own strength. We're, we're finding our own grounding in all these other things. But the key to being grounded is taking the doctrine and the beliefs and the, and the things that are right and good and true and actually going to the person who is the source of all of that, Jesus. Depending on him, relying on him as Savior. So some of us, we might have been in, been in church our whole lives. Other, others of us are brand new to church. Regardless, some of us have never relied on Jesus because we've never taken that step of really surrendering our life and trusting him to support us. Trusting that he truly is who he is and that he will do what he's promised to do for us. For a variety of reasons, we're scared, we, we have doubt, we're, we're just anxious about what it would look like to release control. But what I'm telling you is that if you want to be grounded, it requires giving that stuff up and actually relying on Jesus. So some of us that have never relied on him, the, the thing we need to do today is simply run to him. We just need to run to him. Now there's others of us in this room this morning we have relied on Christ at some point in our lives. We came to him and we surrendered and gave up and said, you know what, this whole life thing, I can't figure it out. It's not working. I know that I'm broken. I need you. And we surrendered to him and we trusted in him. But life is hard. And what happens over time is that along the way, as you're trying to rely on Christ, you're trying to pursue him and trust him and follow him, heartache comes and setbacks come. Somebody who's, who's there, who's supposed to love you, fails to love you, whether that's a parent or a friend, maybe a spouse. There's relationship breakage, and then what happens is somehow in all of that we get hurt, we get confused, we get uh, depressed, and we begin to think that it's all God's fault, and so we start to move away from him, and we stop relying on him. And what we don't realize is that Somebody else failed us, and we start to attribute that failure to God, and now we've cut ourselves off from the only source of security in life. And so we're over here trying to do our own thing, mad at the very one who is the only way out of the hole that we've dug ourselves in. So there's some of us in this room, we've run to Christ before, but for a while now we've been moving away from him. And the scary thing is, it's not like you just ran from him all of a sudden, and you know you ran from him. Sometimes that's the case. But there's a lot of us, we've just been doing this gradual creep away from him because we've got pain in here and we've got hurt in here and we think that it's his fault whenever somebody else was the one who failed us and hurt us. 
And I'm not saying that I've got all the answers, and I'm not saying that it's not, you know, that it's weird or something to process hurt this way and move away from God like that. What I'm saying is, at some point, we've got to realize, even though everything in us is scared to death to move toward him, he is the only one that can help us out of the place that we're in. He is the only one who can be the grounding that we really, really need. Some of us need to run to Jesus, but some of us just need to return to him. We need to return to him. We need to actually trust that he can be what we need. The third, third group of us, you know, for simplicity's sake, I think there's another group of us here who maybe you're in a season right now where you're relying on Jesus. Your relationship with him is good. It's growing, and you're not running from him. You haven't, you're not in a place where you've been just drifting from him, but you are trusting him. You're building your life on him. My encouragement for you today is to stay in that place. You need to remain in him. Remain in Jesus because right now, who knows what the circumstances are like in your life. They could be really, really good and down the road something hard and something difficult is coming and you don't know when it's going to get here. And when that comes, if you're not attached in Jesus, if you don't remain in him, you will be be tossed around and you'll lose that grounding. Others of you, maybe you're in a difficult place and that's what's driving you to remain in Christ and to rely on him right now. The difficulty of life is making it such that you're driven to your knees and you're relying on the Lord. That's, that's it. for me, honestly, it's easier for me to rely on God when I'm going through difficulty. But maybe that difficulty, you can already kind of see God working it out and things are kind of getting better. It should cause a little bit of trepidation in you if you're like me And you see what's going to happen is in a few weeks, you're going to think that everything's good and you're going to, you don't plan to do this, but you slowly just kind of realize, oh, you know, I got this. And all of a sudden you're trying to ground yourself and something sideswipes you and you're like, where did that come from? And so don't think that you can live on today's relying forever. You've got to come back to that place daily and come back to your knees daily and stay there and, and rely on him. Because it's easy to start to just drift away. Before we close, I've invited Eva to come up and and share a little bit with us about how she has been learning what it means to rely on Jesus. Not just the truth about him, not just correct doctrine, but to rely on Jesus personally. So, thank you, Eva. I'm messing up your setup here, James. Sorry. My name is Eva. I'm part of a staff here at Skillman. And um, I'm happy to share this with you this morning. It's really a confession more than anything else. Um, and it, it comes from the beginning of what Jeremiah was preaching this morning. So I've hold this out to you. Um, it is a way that I resist the Lord. So One of the great loves of my life is literature. There's this little cluster of things that I love almost as much as Josh. Books, language. I have two degrees that relate to writing and poetry, and they're not very helpful for making money, but they are things that I have pursued with passion, and I, I love them. And they translate nicely to 
working at a Bible church. When I am teaching from the scripture, these skills for understanding the written word are very helpful. And um, I also idolize them in a way that is completely out of line. So I became convicted of this last fall. I was getting ready to begin teaching our women's Bible study from the book of John. So I was spending a lot of time in John. And there's a scene in chapter 5, the end of chapter 5, and Jesus and the Pharisees are in a public conflict. And Jesus says to them, you search the scriptures because you think that by them you will have eternal life, but you refuse to come to me to have life. And um, I'm not a Pharisee, but I am entirely guilty of what Jesus was convicting them of publicly, that I will get with my Bible and appreciate to the point of tears or exaltation the beauty and the power that is inherent in it being written by the Spirit of God and totally resist intimacy or anything, giving anything vulnerable in myself to the Lord in that same moment that he's giving everything to me through this gift. So these, these are words, they are very special words, but they are not the word. And we worship God, we worship Jesus, not the Bible. The Bible didn't die for us. So I hold that out to you as my confession. And, and I think as a place where we are vulnerable as a Bible church, in a place where we stand for the reading of the scripture and that that is appropriate for us to do, it is this unique blessing to us. Um, but it is a pitfall, I think, for us to get hung up on the text and to not receive the invitation that is in the text. So uh, it is an honor for me to get to pray for us this morning in close of our um, message time. And when I'm done, those of you who are providing the offertory and receiving the offering can come forward. So pray with me. I'm so guilty of this, Lord. I feel the guilt of it right now. And so I ask that you would save me from myself and that you would cleanse my heart of the things that I put between you and me and that I would receive what you are offering in this incredible masterpiece that you have given to the generations of people who bow the knee to your son. I pray that we as a Bible church, a community that says this is the guide for our life, that we would never stop at the words, but that we would worship the word, that we would worship the one who did everything for us to make it possible to be with you, Father. I pray that we would yield to the spirit when he's saying, you know, don't stop at the poetry don't stop at the imagery. Go to Jesus. And so I pray that 
you would make that true of me and for my brothers and sisters in the room and that whatever our hangups may be, if it's music sometimes or programming sometimes or these things that you have given us as the best gifts, um, that we would never flaunt those things or resist you in those moments. So relieve us of our guilt and help us to fellowship with you with a pure heart. In Jesus' name.